0: The Politocrat Daily Podcast is now on Pandora. It's great to be part of the Pandora family. You can listen to this podcast right now on Pandora or wherever you get your podcasts. So please, subscribe and thank you for your support. Welcome to The Politocrat, I'm Omar Moore, it is Sunday December the 27th, 2020. On this edition of The Politocrat, 2021, it is almost here, just days away. Do you have any plans? about what you're going to be doing next year any ideas about how things are going to shape up for you that is what this episode largely will be about as well as looking at the critical Georgia runoff races in the US Senate as we are now just over one week away from those two runoffs in Georgia that really could shape much of what happens in the next two to four years and beyond in the United States. All of that coming up next. In a calendar year full of very Very, very much death. A year full of loss. A year full of pain. One name to add to that very sorrowful list is K.C. Jones. K.C. Jones was a winner. He was the legendary National Basketball Association head coach for the Boston Celtics, for whom he also played. Casey Jones died at the age of 88 on Christmas Day of this year. Casey Jones was a legend, the master of cool, and the master of championships. He had won 11 of his 12 NBA basketball championships with the Boston Celtics including two as the head coach of the Celtics in the 1980s. Casey Jones was somebody who was personable, affable, a hardworking, demanding coach, and somebody who really was a carer. He cared about people. He cared about the players. He played with and the players that he coached. Casey Jones was a man of strategy and a man of basics. On the basketball court, he demanded nothing less than excellence. And his temperament showed you he led by example. Casey Jones is a huge loss. A huge loss to the NBA family and his loss will be felt. And he is somebody who I will never forget, even as a New York Knicks basketball fan. He would walk the sidelines with the cool, calm confidence. You knew that you were in good hands with KC Jones. And his players really did play for him and they loved him. The NBA family is in mourning. The loss of Casey Jones is one that will be felt for a long time. One of the true pros in the game of the NBA and in life itself, Casey Jones passed away once again on Christmas Day of 2020. May Casey Jones rest in power my deepest, most heartfelt condolences to the family of K.C. Jones. Well, what a year. What a year. My goodness me. Here we are. On December the 27th. Just a few more days left of this wretched year. Oh my goodness. I bet you cannot wait. I know I can't wait to get out of this year. So many people have lost lives. You probably know somebody who has lost their life this year. And it doesn't have to only be the coronavirus. It could be anything. Um, And it's easy sometimes, quite frankly, to lose sight of that, that. The coronavirus, which has, I think, become the number one killer of people in the United States now. Um, you know, that is not the only thing, of course. I don't, I don't hate, I hate to say it like that. The only, um, there are so many ailments and illnesses that kill people, not just here in the United States, but anywhere in the world. So whatever, um, happened to you in this year, that was not positive. Um, Whatever happened to you this year that was painful that was heartfelt that was um deeply painful I should say that was that would that really hurt you um I want to send you my um, personal support um, and to say that I am with you um, even though I don't know you, even though I've never met you. I do think it's important um that we must acknowledge each other in our good times and in these difficult and painful times that we are going through. So, I just hope for you that the pain eases for you whatever level of adversity you have been through, particularly in 2020. And I hope that eases for you. I hope that The pain becomes less for you and it subsides for you. And whatever challenges that you may be going through right now, as you listen to me and whatever challenges you may go through beyond, I do wish you the greatest fortification and strength and love and peace and perseverance, perseverance in these times There are people who are going through what you are going through. There are people who are going through what you are going through. Know that you are not alone, even though it feels as you are alone. Comfort and support are very important at this time of year, but at any time. And so I want to say that You will always, always have someone here at the Politocrat Daily Podcast to hear you, to speak to you, to acknowledge the not so good times, as well as the good times. Because the good times, after going through the pain and the suffering and the loss, can be that little bit sweeter even in such a bitter year as this one. 2020 is almost finished. And so I do want to talk about this a bit here, as this is the final Sunday of 2020. So much has changed, of course, in 2020, and it's going to continue to change in 2021. Things aren't going to go back to the quote unquote way they were before. There is not any such thing as normal, at least I don't think so. And there certainly isn't going to be a return to quote unquote normal when next year arrives. Even with a vaccine, we are still going to have to behave differently. We're still going to have to wear masks. We're still going to have to physically distance, and we will probably be doing this for the entirety of two thousand and twenty-one. And I know that's a you know that's a bitter pill to swallow, right? To realize that we will be doing this, perhaps for, quite frankly, for the bulk of. 2021 and everybody will not get vaccinated in 2021 i mean that's another bit of truth that is not being acknowledged we have countries on the globe who will not see a lot of people in their countries vaccinated One of the things that Dr. Cindy Duke and I spoke about and one of the things that she raised recently on this podcast was about the vaccine movement, the people's vaccine movement. And the important realization that in poor countries, no more than 10% of the people will get this vaccine, whichever one it will be so that means that 90 percent of the people in poor countries will not be vaccinated because richer countries have stockpiled and purchased billions of dollars of vaccine and these corporations that have been behind the vaccines cultivating them are selling to the highest bidders you know to the richest countries and they are stockpiling them canada the United States, the United Kingdom, some other richer European countries. And so that means that the vast majority of the world, which is the poorer countries of the world, will not have its citizenry vaccinated. Again, 90% of the people in each of the poor countries on the planet will not get vaccination that's really a huge blow I mean mean, to call it a huge blow is trivializing it isn't it the reality that most of the people on the planet won't get vaccinated I mean we have to do so much better than that so much better than that this can't be a solely predominantly rich and predominantly white experience in terms of you get the vaccine and you get the vaccine and you get the vaccine. We can't have that. But inevitably that is what this is, you know, this vaccination racism and this vaccination class classism and We really aren't doing the world a service and we're not doing ourselves a service at all. We're doing ourselves and the world a great disservice. When we only vaccinate, what, 20% of the world, 30% of the world, that's not going to cut it, is it? It's just not. If we want to get rid of a virus or we want to reduce its spread and its potency and its contagion, Then only vaccinating the richer countries of the world, which again, make up half of the less than half of the world, is not going to get it done. How is that going to possibly work? This segregation, this segregated world, this segregation on vaccination. That's really not going to work, is it? What do you think? We'll see. We'll see what happens. And we'll see if this vaccine is going to be for free. And spoiler alert, Dr. Cindy Duke, who I spoke to on this podcast just a few days ago, has already told you what the answer to that question is. Not that you probably didn't guess already what the answer would be. So what are you going to do in 2021? I mean, then the year is almost over here, 2020. And and what are you going to do? I mean, I, lots of things I want to get done in 2021. Um, I do make new year's resolutions. Haven't done them quite yet. Have you kept any of yours? Did you keep any of your new year's resolutions in 2020? And do you typically make New Year's resolutions, if at all? This is applicable to those of you who do. So for those of you listening who make New Year's resolutions, do you typically make them the year before? Or do you wait until the New Year begins to make them? I actually think it's a good thing to make New Year's resolutions before the New Year begins. You have a clear path, a clear idea, and then you hopefully don't break those resolutions. I made, I think, four New Year's resolutions going into 2020. And I broke one of them of the four that I made. The other three that I made are still intact, which I'm proud of, actually as i puff out my chest here um that you cannot see obviously but you can't hear someone puff out their chest but that is a something that i kind of take pride in um so one of them one of them i'll share which is i went the whole year well there's still a few more days left i went this entire year i mean this may sound like a really Silly New Year's resolution or not. I mean, New Year's resolutions are very personal. Um, So obviously, uh, what may sound significant to me may not sound very significant to a lot of other people, including yourself, perhaps. But I said, New Year's resolution wise, that I would go the entire year without eating chicken. Yeah, no poultry at all. And, and I have done that thus far with <laughs> four days or so to go. Um, if you don't include December 27th, <laughs> 2020. Um, there are four more days after that, though. Um, so it's really five days, I guess, including today to go in this year and still no chicken whatsoever. Um, now, again, that may sound really fluffy and silly. But I wanted to do that. I'm like, I'm going to go this whole year and I'm not going to have any chicken to eat. And, you know, know, a lot of people in the world don't get food to eat, don't get to be that choosy. Right. Because, of course, um, there's so much hunger in this world. And, you know, look at this country here in the United States. You know, I'm, I'm saying that to you amidst a backdrop of millions of people right now who don't have the luxury of being as discriminating as I do. To be fair. I did make this resolution in 2019 before this pandemic really hit the world as it has now done. So perhaps um, in hindsight, uh, a decent resolution. But now as we get to the end of 2020, me talking about chicken, wanging on about chicken may not be um, the greatest thing since sliced bread, for example. Um, and I don't, uh, I hope I'm not coming across insensitively because I apologize for that. Um, because again, um, now there is such a thing as first world problems and I hate that term, but there is something to it. It's really about privilege, isn't it? Um, and some of us are very fortunate. Um, you know, having said what I said prior to this portion of this particular episode you know i recognize that i do know people who have gone through a lot i've gone through different things this year we've all gone through things but i'm sure that the kinds of things i've gone through pale in comparison to a great many people who have really suffered this year really suffered um and again as i said earlier i'm really mindful of that um and we need to put our arms around each other um because we've done a lot of great things this year, in spite of all the very uh, painful moments, you know we've got rid of Donald Trump here in the United States. Um, you know, the, a vaccine or vaccines plural have come up already now a little bit quick, and we'll talk, we'll find out what happens. But people have started to be vaccinated. I think those are good things. These all happened in the past, you know, within the last two months. So. You know, those are good things. And I, I don't forget those at all. And there are other positive things happening, but we've still got a lot to deal with. Um, but, yeah, that was my, one of my New Year's resolutions, you know, and I've managed to keep that one. Um, so, you know, again, it's just to say, you know, have you managed to keep any of your New Year's resolutions in 2020? I think I'll probably put that up to a poll, won't I, on Twitter At the popcorn, R-E-E-L. Yeah, I think I'll do that. You know, um, uh, (laughs) what am I if I'm not a pollster? For those of you who follow me on social media, on Twitter, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. I mean, (laughs) you know, polls are just, you know, I'm surprised I'm not a pollster myself in, in actuality. Although, you know, I'm the one that rails against polls, and I did All year long, and here I am on Twitter doing polls. Not quite the same kind of thing, but it's a poll nonetheless. um, Then the question I will put up is Have you, you know, are you making news resolutions for 2021? I won't put up, Have you broken any? because the year is almost out, and, you know, this year, oh my goodness. This would be the year to break those resolutions, wouldn't it? You know? Um, I mean, once this pandemic hit us, that was really all she wrote or all it wrote. I don't want to put it to be, I don't want to genderize this. You know, this is we, we do this so much in our culture. and right? we usually put a female name to something that's negative or, you know, property, you know, it's it's a very sexist and uh, patriarchal thing and and misogynistic thing as well, that we do and and do it in a very you know automatic way it's so ingrained in us and in the culture and the society and the patriarchy, so that's what we do we oh she's a fine vehicle, she's a fine you know the a boat we'll call it you know some you know a name that's inevitably female or we you know there are men's names too, but inevitably it'll be. She's a great machine, you know. Like, no, oh, come on, stop genderizing this stuff. Oh, yeah anyway, you know it's. This is, um, an ongoing thing that we have to, you know, get rid of this, um, naming, uh, uh you know, uh, or you know, you know, putting female uh, names on, thing, you know, on Mother Nature. you know, Mother Nature. <laughs> I just said it, you know. Um. Oh dear. Anyway, as I struggle here to be articulate, um, so yeah, I'm going to ask on this poll that will circulate on December the twenty seventh, two thousand and twenty, on Twitter at the popcorn r e e l. Have you made New Year's resolutions for twenty twenty one, or will you something like that? But look out for that on Twitter. I'll be right back and I think I'm, I'm going to get more to plans or rather I should say even the kinds of things I think that people should start to do that perhaps you yourself should start to do as we head towards and enter 2021 right after this. I think that when we look back on the year 2020, we will have some um, pain, relief, and being thankful for the most part, I think. There'll be a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, um, time to grieve. We have been doing that in this year, particularly if you've lost someone you know, someone you love, someone you care about. And I think when we look back on this year, we will continue to remember it for mostly the not-so-good things, the painful things, the sad things, the tragic things. We lost so much this year, so much. We lost people in our lives. We lost people we've heard of or know of. We've lost people who have been murdered by police. Uh, We've lost people to gun violence all over the country. We've lost people to so many different types of things and, of course, to this coronavirus. Over 330,000 people in the United States and almost 2 million people globally. So we have lost so much. If there are some positive or good things that you can point to in 2020 for yourself personally, please hold on to those. Please do celebrate them. And it is not inappropriate to celebrate the good things in a year like this. It is not. Some people um, may not out of respect. Um, but I don't think that if you've if you've had a, a good year or you've had some good things happen in the year where you've also had some bad things happen. If you can find that time to celebrate some of those good things, you you can do it. You should do it. But I also think it's important never to forget those that you have lost. And you don't need me to tell you that. Of course you don't forget those that you've lost. You know, that mean so much to you. People who touch your life, touch your life in a really significant way. People that you love, people that you really uh, feel like you couldn't carry on without. You know, I've spoken to some uh, people this year, who have lost so much, so much. And, you know, I know people who are going through, personally know some people who are going through some really difficult things. Um, and I think, again, as I said a little bit earlier, uh, it is something that I've said actually a lot during this year on this podcast, is that compassion and empathy are critical components for human beings, for us as human beings. We've got to, have a level of empathy and compassion for people. Um and I'm talking about people we don't know. I'm not talking about family members because hopefully you do have some of that for your family members although I know that there are some families who, you know, don't talk to each other. There are people in the families and you may be experiencing this yourself, someone that you know in your family isn't talking to you. Uh, somebody that you aren't talking to in your family for whatever those personal reasons are. Um, but I'm talking about having empathy and compassion for people you do not know. you know, For people who you see on the streets. For people who have homes and people who do not have homes. To have compassion for those individuals because um, no matter what time of year it is, no matter what calendar year it is, people are hurting. You know, people are going through all kinds of things. I think the best thing that people can do is to exercise some compassion and humanity and decency um, in those situations and be the best that you can be every day. And I know that that sounds like a cliche, you know, be the best you can be. But, you know, really, I mean, we this world um, is changing a lot and not necessarily for the better when it comes to all the technology out here that is really going to make a presence in 2021, it's going to be even more in our lives and in our faces. And I'm not saying that technology isn't good. Um, there are some very good things about it, as, uh, as I have talked about previously, and as um, you heard Dr. Cindy Duke talk about a few days ago here on this podcast. And I really do recommend that you go back and listen um, to the Christmas Eve episode, Christmas Eve 2020 episode of this podcast, uh, where Dr. Duke talks about Technology and how it makes it makes her medical practice as a fertility doctor um, much much uh, more efficient. Um, so and it's also that that episode is also on YouTube as well on the Politocrat YouTube channel. But technology is going to be in our lives a lot, even more so. I mean, it, obviously it was this year with Zoom and Zoom. I was initially resistant to, you know, and now look, I use Zoom for, you know. A lot of things I do, um, whether it's work related or whether it's this podcast or whatever else it might be. So, um, you know, these are these are in these times are going to be very different going forward. So one of the things I think that people should do is. If you can. If you can. If you are able to do this is to, if you have a laptop, because there are people who do not have computers, there are people who do not have television sets. In fact, I I think a a majority of Americans actually don't have a television set, or at least a large number of Americans do not, for example. And this applies beyond the United States as well. A large number of people in other countries probably do not have television sets. And that's not a negative thing. That's not to make a judgment. It's just to state um, an observational um, piece of evidence in fact um, there's a lot of people who do not have television sets and not because and it could be for any reason you know people have laptops now people have their phones now they watch television on their phones this is a new technological age and it's been here for a while now people are streaming things people don't buy blu-ray discs as much I mean I still do but people you know and, and other people do of course you do um, and you know, if you uh, if you're a big film fan like I am, a film critic, uh, or just a film fan, or a film buff, um, you still buy Blu-ray, don't you? I mean, man, eh, maybe you don't, maybe you do. Criterion Collection, yeah, I know. and I know you can stream Criterion movies, uh, but I love to have the Blu-ray disc in my hand, and I like to, you know, it's this very tactile thing. It's like vinyl. If you're of a certain age, you remember when vinyl really was king or queen, so to speak. Um, And now vinyl uh, is reintroducing itself, although some people um, like myself would say that it never really completely disappeared or went away. I mean, it just kind of got subsumed and subdued by all of the CD uh, compact disc uh, mania that came in the, the 1980s, I think. Yeah, mid-1980s, late-1980s. That's when, mid-1980s, early-1980s, that's when compact disc came along, and we loved it. I remember um, feasting on compact discs, and then there was laser discs, and then there was, uh, you know, all these different things, you know, a long way away from the 8-track. <laughs> the 8-track, you could only play that thing forwards. You couldn't rewind it, as I remember. Um, then there were cassettes, and I love cassettes, and you can probably still get cassettes, can't you? Um, I don't know, they probably cost a lot more than they did back in the day. But what I'm saying about laptops is, if you do have a laptop computer, if you do have online access and you have a laptop computer or some kind of computer desktop or whatever it might be, a phone, if there are photographs or if there are files or if there are things that you have on your drive, that you don't need, clear them out. I do this every year, actually. If there's some kind of file or some kind of uh, thing that I don't need on my phone or you know, computer or whatever, my laptop, I make a point that by the end of the year, at the end of the calendar year, to completely clear all that out now, it's not that that's the only time of the year that I do this, but I find it to be a really good thing to do, especially at the end of a the year. There's something for me, at least, that is a mental connection to psychologically. It's a psychological connection to purging out um, the year, at least images of the year or representations of the year. I don't know. I think for me, that's something I do. I like to do that. And I've done, I do it. During the year as well, but particularly also at the end of a calendar year, I like to just um, all the files or lots of files that I don't need or things I don't need. I, of course, I back them up um, or I don't or I just completely delete them, clear them out of the drive system, clear them uh, out of your computer. I think it's just good to do that. It's kind of this, even on a technological level, it's a type of a cleansing same thing if you if you're someone who has things on your phone, I would say to you that this is the time of year now to clear them off your phone, or to transfer them or back them up, clear them off your phone. Start with a clean slate, and of course there are memories and precious photographs of family, kids, you know, you know, all those kinds of things, friendships, partner, whatever, um, spouse. You're not going to clear all those out. I'm. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is, um, the kinds of things that you don't need on your phone, clear that clutter. It's clutter. Clear it. It's like in your home. Let's say you are in. Is fortunate to have a roof over your head, and you live in a home where you are safe as well. By the way, where you are safe, and you are comfortable. And not someone who is, um, you know, being terrorized by domestic violence or an abusive person in 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 your life or in your household. So I want to stipulate those things as well, because people are going through a lot. If you are someone um, who has the comfort of your own home, your own place, um, and your own space, if you find your surroundings to be closing in on you or you know some people have that you know they're people who are hoarders i mean i've come across so many stories of people who hoard things to the point in which there is no space in their place you know and that's not healthy it's not healthy for you um it's not healthy uh, for the mind is not there may be i guess i guess people who hoard and maybe you hoard i don't know if you do um I think that there is this comfort in doing that. I, I don't know. I mean, I th- I mean, I would, ha- I don't know. I mean, I really don't do that kind of thing. I just think that I would imagine that some of the people who hoard do so because there's maybe comfort in doing it. I don't know. It's difficult to, to try to, to do that short of inviting on somebody who actually is a hoarder. Um, and I'm not trying to uh, demonize the people who do this. Um, but there's something going on, I think. Perhaps there's things going on behind the hoarding, I would think. Um, we all have habits. We all have things that we do. Um, and I think that um, as we get to a brand new year, I think that reducing clutter in our minds is so important. It really is. I think that's the point I'm driving at here um, is to um, get to a place if you're able to, in a, if you're in a safe space to do this, to reduce clutter if you have it. If you don't have clutter in your life, then that's great. But to those who do, to those who do have um, you know, a muddled um, space, for lack of a better terminology, that there's things all over the place, or you know whatever it might be. Um, now is the time, if you are able to, to focus on reducing that clutter, lightening the load, beginning today, right now. As you do this, you will find that you feel a whole lot better, more space in a place. Makes for a happier face. I literally just made that up. But it is true. (laughs) It is true. It does something to you mentally. And I've heard medical professionals and psychologists say that your space is an indication of how you feel. And how you're thinking and what your mind is like. If you have a place that's clean and clear, then... I dare say that more often than not, that tends to reflect that your mind is also clear. Now, that's not always true, of course, but it would tend, I think, to lean toward that area. If your place is not so clear and it's cluttered or it's whatever, you know, disorganized, then that would tend to reflect, I imagine, a disorganized mind, an unclear mind, a mind of, I don't know, I don't know. But that's what I would think that that would tend to indicate. And there are psychologists who would agree with me on that. So I do think, to whom this may apply, that it is important to Begin now, if you can, if you are able to, if you are in the frame of mind to do this, because that's another thing, to try to unclutter as you head toward a brand new year so that you can start at least in your space, in your home, in your place, with a clearer mindset and a vision for 2021. Think of the things that you have to do in your everyday life. Think of the things that you think you can do better in your everyday life. Think of the things that you want to do better in your everyday life. As the calendar turns to 2021, what would those things be for you? What would those things be? I think that's the question. To give some thought to. And when you have some thoughts on it, and when you come up with those, write those down. I don't know if you do diaries or not. There are people who do. There are people who don't. But I would write these things down. The things that you can do better in your life. The things that you haven't done quite as well in 2020 that you would like to improve on. Write them down. And I don't mean just put them on your phone. I mean actually type them out, really, on a laptop if you have one. Or write them down on a piece of paper. Literally, pick up a pen. And if you've got some paper in your in your living space, please write it down with, with a pen. You know, people don't do that very much anymore because we're all on uh, our laptops, or we're using our thumbs for you know for our uh, iPhones or whatever you know our phones. So, believe me, once you write these things down, it's good to. Unload them from your mind and put them on a page so that you can see them. And then so that you can conceptualize them better rather than having all of this swim in your head, in your mind. Because when all of these things swim in your mind, uh, your mind starts to race. You may get a little anxious. It's, you know, that's what happens, I think. So it's really good to put these things down on paper, type them out on your laptop. Even better to write them out physically with a pen on a piece of paper. It doesn't matter how untidy the writing is. It doesn't matter. that you. It's just that you get these things out on paper or on a laptop. And I say again, if you can. Because this time of year and any time of year, people suffer from severe levels of depression. And literally, depression is something, and I, I've not faced this, but I know that people who have gone through it, because I've not experienced this, but there are people I know who go through depression and they literally cannot get out of bed. Literally cannot get out of bed. Perhaps that has happened to you. Perhaps you have experienced that. Or perhaps you know someone who is going through that right now. Maybe you are. Maybe you have a spouse or a partner or someone you know, love, care about who literally goes through that. So to be there for them is, is important, of course, very important. But for those of you who aren't going through anything like that, Or trying to come out of that existence, that that kind of um, state of being. Be sure to think about the things that you want to do in 2021. Think, Think of the things that you would like to do better in 2021. Take stock of the things you didn't do so well in 2020. And think about the things you want to do to be better to be a better person, to be a better, who, whatever, you know, what, however, whatever applies in your life. Because we all can do this. We all can be better. I don't think anybody thinks, honestly, that they are their 100% best self. Because if there is someone who thinks that, that they are at the 100% top of creme de la creme, everything, and they're perfect, they don't exist, and they are lying to you. We go through this life and we spend so much time doing things, good things, not so good things. Do some things that are good, doing some things perhaps that we um, make mistakes on. We all learn. We all learn, and hopefully we learn from our mistakes, most importantly. And no matter how good we may be, there's always room for improvement. And I can hear some people right now, oh my goodness me, I don't want to do that. I'm quite content. And maybe you are, maybe that applies to you. But there's always room to be better. I think I guess one of the questions is how hard does one want to work on that, if at all? If people are in your life and they are telling you, hey, you need to do this better. Or, hey, I don't like this about you. Or, hey, you know, uh, I don't know. And if you have more than one person telling you this. That's a cue that you should probably think about listening to those individuals. And even if it is only one person saying that to you. And that person is someone close to you. Or a friend that's close to you. Or whomever. That still is a cue perhaps. That you should. Take into account what. Someone is saying. To you. 2021 will provide. I think something different for us all. To contemplate. But to strive for. I've talked about the importance of agendas. To write down things that you hold very dear and important to you on a political basis. Issues that affect your life and the lives of people in your circle, but the lives of people in general. I mean, it shouldn't only be about you or about me. It's got to be about people beyond our circle because that's what the world is. It's a world of all of us, not just us alone. So this is this is what we have to look at. I think we all have room for improvement, all of us. I do, you do, the people you know do, the people I know, we all do. And the question is are we going to with the politics and with the things in life and the agenda items I keep talking about this with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Let's not wait until 2021. Let's not wait until January 20th, which, you know, now is what? It's, what, three weeks away, isn't it? You know, we're just, um, I mean, we're really getting close now. We're just over three weeks away from the swearing-in of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as president and vice president, respectively, of the United States. So this is, you know, we are coming up on a big moment soon but i assure you that we should not wait to settle for them to settle in we shouldn't allow for that this is an unprecedented year we've not seen a year like this for a long long time many of us have not seen it ever in our lives some people have some people have, have seen pandemics have seen things affect them and you know all kinds of ways but there's a lot of us who have never experienced this and I guess we do get exposed and um, we scramble. But I guarantee you, we can't scramble. I guarantee you, we can't scramble with this agenda that we've worked so hard, Who vote, those of us who voted for Joe Biden, we cannot go home now, we cannot. And I guarantee you, we have to keep lobbying as I keep saying, these three or four agenda items you have, make sure that you meet with people, Zoom, of course, or whatever, you know, meet, discuss the three or four things that are important to you, whether it's a right to choose, whether it is um, criminal justice reform, the environment, um, the economy, healthcare, whatever it may be police brutality, all of these kinds of things that are very important among so many other issues, immigration. Um, Discuss that with your circle. Discuss that with like-minded people. Uh, Write down those agenda items, those three issues. Discuss them. Ask others in your circle to do the same. Meet. Have meetings, as I've said before so many times here. And plan out an agenda to present as an organization to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Do it now. Do it now. The transition team is still here. This is the time. They are in transition. So what about us? What about you? What about me? And that's really been the theme, I think, for this particular episode for the most part, is to focus on how we transition into 2021 and the kinds of things that we must do and should do As we move into a brand new calendar year. We have to lobby. One of them is to lobby. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I assure you Wall Street has already done this. The Wall Streeters. Big Pharma. P-H-A-R-M-A. Pharma. The pharmaceutical industry. They have already lobbied Joe Biden. Because they are donating to Joe Biden. That is their speech. That is their lobbying power. Wall Street also, among many other entities that care more about billionaires and their corporate corporate profits. Gosh, I can't even say that, can I? You know, corporate profits. You know, all the billionaires that have made all this money. Jeff Bezos and all these other people, ungodly amounts of money. You know, they've already lobbied. I can guarantee you they have already Silicon Valley... You know, Apple, Facebook, oh gosh, and that got the Politocrat is now on Facebook. It's now a Facebook page. It has been for a number of months. I, I say that with a, with a touch of discomfort. Um, but you can find the Politocrat on Facebook. And I said I would update it. Haven't had the chance to, uh, but I will do so before this year is out. It will be updated, I guarantee. But anyway, look, that's not the important thing. The important thing is um, we have to lobby Joe Biden and Kamala Harris here in the United States. Um, We have to make our voices heard. We cannot retreat now. And the young people who voted, black people who voted, the indigenous populations who voted, brown people who voted, Asian Americans, we cannot rest on our laurels here. We have to form movements and I think we have to form intersectional movements as well. I think that's so important. I mean, um, yes, we should uh, first and foremost focus on our own organizations and our betterment, black people. I think we should do that. Um, I think that's very important. We have to be, as Malcolm X once said, um, we have to first, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, first uh, care about ourselves and, Organize for ourselves before we start to organize and coalesce with others. I think that's very true. That still remains true. And I'm a firm believer in that. We have to do that first. First and foremost. You take care of your family and then take care of the people outside of that and around that. You know, that's very important. And that's different from just taking care only of yourself. That is You're you're prioritizing obviously your circle of people, your family, and then you go out and uh, offer that. You know, you reach out and, and do that with others. That's that's natural. That is the human thing. That's different from voting for somebody based on what you did in your your stock portfolio did. That's different, right? That's selfishness. Only about what your stock portfolio did in 2020 and not about the betterment of the entire country. That's different from what I've just said uh, that I paraphrased with Malcolm X. So, you know, with, with what Malcolm said, it is very true. And in this 21st century, in addition, we also need, once we do fortify ourselves, we need to form intersectional movements because so much of what we see, so much of who we are, is intersectional. I mean, that cannot be denied. You know, it cannot be denied. So, you know, whether it's members of the LGBTQIA plus community. And, you know, I really, you know, I really want to try to stop sectionalizing people. Because when you say of a community, they're part of the human community. We are all part of the the L G. BTQIA plus community is part of the human family you know it's not like you know and I'm guilty of this we put people on satellites we put people in these so-called quote-unquote boxes and that's not really what we should be doing right We, we should be talking about everybody as part of the human family Instead of saying, "Oh, this community over here and this community over there," and that I've done it many times on this podcast. I plead guilty. <laughs> I plead one hundred percent guilty of doing things like this you know it it's it's not good because you you tend to isolate and box people up, and we are a human family, so I think we should talk about each other that way, and I get it. Um, you want to identify people because there are people who of course. Are being oppressed, black folk, brown people, you know, women. And so you do have to call the role. I'm not saying that you just completely um flatten and you know erase. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying I think I think for me, language is very important. And I'm not just talking about the ability to speak more than one. I'm talking about the kinds of words we use to speak about things, the terms we use, what we use, how we say it, how we write it, how we articulate it. I think that's really more of what I'm trying to get at. But intersectionality is really important. You've got black people who are trans. You know, you've got, um, you know... I just mentioned trans because black trans lives matter. Black trans lives matter. And in this kind of year, we've lost, I mean, what, 30, 40 black trans people. And there have been some Latino trans people we've also lost. You know, some Latina trans people that we've lost. Trans people who are Latino, trans people who are black, who have been killed in the United States this year, 2020. So I do want to say, you know, that's part of intersectionality, you know. I'm a straight man. I'm a straight black man. And then there are people who are, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know how to even phrase You know, articulate, they're speaking of language and articulations. You know, um, then there are, uh, you have people who are um, gay black men, you know, gay black women, people say lesbian. Um, That's part of intersectionality too, you know. Being a woman and being black, that's intersectionality in a way it really is you know you know I mean that's important you have you know white trans um, white gay white straight I mean again I mean I know it, it again it, it this sectionality right that's this kind of um, segmentation but again there's intersectionality of interest and, and things and 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 where our paths intersect. And I think that there needs to be additional movements in 2021 around all of this. Because those are the unifying things. We may not agree on every single thing, and many of us do not. But if there are some key and core things we can agree on, then why not? Why not? It's there for us to do. It really is. When I return, Georgia. Welcome back. Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. That is really going to be the theme of where we are and what we should be and thinking about as we go through these final days of 2020. Just over a week from now, these two Senate races in Georgia will be the eyes of the world. Indeed, they are the eyes of the world right now, at least the eyes of the American world, <laughs> as, you, as I might say. Because, <laughs> you know, we do think we are the world here in America, don't we? Um, that the only country on the planet that exists is the United States of America. Um, you know, but I, I think that this, you know, these two races are everything. These two races in Georgia... Um, the first of those being between Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock and Kelly Leffler, The other being between John Ossoff and David Padu. These two Senate races in Georgia are going to be very critical. These really are going to determine what kind of presidency Joe Biden has. And these are also going to determine what kind of Senate we have, obviously, here in the U.S., If both Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff win their Senate runoffs against their Republican opponents, we will have a democratically controlled Senate. Which means that a lot of the things that have been sitting on the Grim Reaper's desk for the last two years plus, if not more, or the last two years certainly, but certainly I'd say even beyond that, will no longer have cobwebs on them as of January the 6th or thereabouts. We will have the capacity to actually pass law in Congress on the federal level that will absolutely make a difference to your life. It truly will. You will have things like the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act passed so that there will be real punishments for people, I hope, for the, the daring to even do this because black people continue to be lynched in this country. By the way, let's not think of lynching only as rope. I say only with really um, with quotes around it, but also again with discomfort because I don't. I hope I'm not trivializing this. I don't think I am. You know, there were stories about people, people, black people being lynched this year in California. One of them apparently was a lynching. The other one. Investigators say was not, you know. And these are in clan-held territories or places where the clan in California here, because um, this is where they both happened in California, where the clan um, runs. I mean, if people don't think that, if people think the clan don't exist in California, think again. The clan exists in every one of the states in this country. My goodness, you would be awfully naive to believe that somehow the Klan is only in the south of the country. (laughs) Huh, you've got to be joking. Why don't you go to uh, the north of San Francisco here? Not too far away from here, folks. Um, Let's disabuse ourselves of the notion that the Klan only exists in Tennessee or in Alabama or in Mississippi. You know, the Klan is in every state, you know, Uh, and, and especially up in Oregon, Portland and and thereabouts, oh boy you know, come on folks we cannot be naive about any of this so the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, if we have a Democratic Senate we will have that passed, it will become law the um, you know, the so many things I can't even think at the moment there's so many things that will affect your life differently on a federal level that will get passed and and one of the things we need to put up again, Speaker Pelosi, with Medicare for all, we need to have that put on the floor. Her speakership election is on the sixth of January, big big day. The sixth of January, big day. I think I may have mentioned this before. I certainly did on Twitter at the popcorn R E E L. January sixth is a huge day, because you've got the speaker election, the need to have Medicare for all on the floor. You you've got to have that, and we'll find out who the speaker is going to be. Pelosi is running again for the speakership, Speaker Pelosi, we'll find out what happens in these two Senate races. And of course, we'll also have the joint session of Congress and the final uh, confirmation and consecration of the results of the Electoral College. So um, that should provide a little bit of drama because you'll have a few of these um, racists um, jumping up and down, objecting to the result which is just gonna be slapped down really. Um, but it's just, you know, again, it's just this, um, the, de- the anti-democratic forces in a fascist country at work is what that is. Um, but these two Senate races are so important. You're, you have a really important opportunity, Georgia, to do this and to those not in Georgia you have an opportunity to help, to phone back, to call. I know it's kind of this time of year, it's Christmas holiday and, you know, it's what, whichever holiday you observe or celebrate or don't, you may not at all. If you're an atheist, then you, you really don't give a rat's about Christmas, do you? You know, you don't care about all of that. You know, you're an atheist and I'm not judging that. Um, that's everyone has a right to to what they believe and what they don't believe in. As importantly, so I respect atheists um, and, and, you know, they, there's not a theology for them that they tap into. They don't believe in a, in a God, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, Um, not at all, you know, not at all. Um, I, I believe in a higher power, but, but, you know, the point is, is that we have a right to not believe in a higher power. As well, So, um, but my whole point is with these two elections, we have a golden opportunity in Georgia. For those of you who aren't in Georgia, please phone back for George, for John Ossoff and, and Reverend Warnock. Really, it's, I know it's odd at this time of year because you've got the holiday season and all, but we have to keep putting the pedal to the metal. We really need the pedal to the metal. We really have to. Pedal to the metal and to the metal. We've got to do this. Because this is about the whole country. It's not only about Georgia. Um this is such an opportunity for us. And the Democrats blew this royally and spectacularly during November's election and before that with the Senate and the House. The the Senate and the House is is the most underreported thing, I think. You know, that the Democrats really failed on, you know, we had what 12 opportunities to get a plus majority to get to turn four seats. We needed four. If you if you did not, you know, we needed four. Put it that way. We needed a minimum of a net gain of four in at least 12 opportunities. And we struck out. We only got one or two of them. Two of them out of a possible 12 that we could have had. And we needed four. And there were at least 12 opportunities. And I know some of this is dark money. And I know some of it is voter suppression. I know that. The Republicans suppressing voters, black voters in particular. I know it was dark money and Mitch McConnell and all. I know a lot of it was because of that too. Susan Collins in Maine mysteriously winning by, what, 15 points, 12 points over Sarah Gideon. Are you kidding me? Sarah Gideon was absolutely all over all over it during that election campaign. And then she loses by 12 or whatever it was. And Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. And you know getting whipped by Lindsey Graham. Oh God that's a pretty really bad choice of words. But you get what I mean. All these races that we were told. That's why I, don't, I told you do not believe in the polls. I, you know I mean come on. Something's going on there. And voter suppression is definitely part of that I think. Among other things, with the money, the dark money, and the influx of money. Mitch McConnell was up to, was doing all kinds of stuff with the money. I mean, my gosh. But that's not really been really autopsied the way I think it should be. But we have a chance now, since the Democrats, um, the leadership has absolutely failed in getting the majorities that it was supposed to. And instead, uh, some of the leadership is blaming you and me, people who care about about black lives somehow are getting blamed. You know, people who say defund the police and they didn't even say abolish the police. I know some people are saying abolish the police, but the folk that the democratic leadership are talking to are people who said defund them. Now, you may agree with that. You may not agree with it. But the point is that was the word in the streets here for many of the millions of people who marched, some of whom were attacked by police, some of whom were shoved to the sidewalk by police, women being shoved to the ground forcefully by male police officers. One of them cracked her head on the curb of a sidewalk and sued and is still going through a lot of injury problems and issues. A man, old man, white man, old man shoved to the ground in Buffalo by police, his head split open on the sidewalk and the blood that would trickle out of his head that we saw over and over again on a loop. So when people say defund the police after the assassination of Breonna Taylor, after the torture and execution of George Floyd for nearly 10 minutes. Um, There's a reason why they say that. It ain't because they want to just burn things down. And of course, there are people who would love to see that happen. But what I am saying is, is that you spit on Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks and many others that I have not even named. You spit on their families. When you start to point at people who say defund the police Like they're the enemy, like they're the problem. The people who say defund the police are the problem or is it the fact that your centrist agenda and your lack of clarity and your desire to be more like the Republicans isn't the issue. And the wishy-washiness and the lack of declarative messaging isn't the issue. Which is why the Republicans who can message the F out of a paper bag won so many House seats in 2020. And no one's talking about that. And no one's connecting that to Speaker Pelosi. And no one's connecting that also, as I have done actually, connected to the statement that Speaker Pelosi made earlier this month when a reporter had the Manu Raju of CNN, the guy who hardly ever asks a confrontational question of anyone. But somehow he asked an innocent question like, well, what about half a loaf? I mean, you you had this deal. You had this structure and two point two trillion or one point eight and Mnuchin had one point eight. Why are you now nine hundred and eight billion as opposed to one point eight trillion? And then she gets upset. Speaker Pelosi. How dare you preface the question like that? I won't if you want an answer, then you must change the way you preface that question. Really? So you're afraid of how a reporter prefaces a question, he wasn't being disrespectful. I've said this before, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you see you see where the problem is? And then your response to the prior reporter before Manu Raju, who now you don't take questions from anymore, you don't answer him, you don't take his questions now. The prior reporter asked you even nicer than him and said, you know, what went wrong? The problem solvers had a bill and why? What went wrong with that? And you talked about bipartisanship so much and you mentioned that. How many times more did you mention that than the Republicans ever? The Republicans don't talk about bipartisanship, but you did. And you said to people, well, there's a game changer now. The reason why we really didn't do this with the stimulus check and people are starving out here, and she didn't say this, I'm saying it. But she did say, we have a new president now. We have a new vaccine. Like that's going to be what puts food on people's tables. You see where the problem is? I know I'm really doing a poor job here of stumping for Ossoff and Warnock. (laughs) Oh, you have to vote, Georgia. And I'm so heartened by the fact that over one and a half million people or thereabouts have already cast a vote in Georgia for this runoff, these two runoffs. So I am pleased and happy about that. But we've got so much more work to do and I'm going to continue to talk about it over these next few days. Operation Georgia Blue is in full effect. And so I hope that you will keep reminding people to go to electjohn, that's E-L-E-C-T-J-O-N.com and to votewarnock, V-O-T-E-W-A-R-N-O-C-K.com Tell them to go there in Georgia, especially, and you too, to donate, to volunteer, to get the word out on your social media channels, your social media channels, to go out there and vote in Georgia. Get the people in Georgia to get out and vote. People are doing so much work right now in Georgia. Stacey Abrams among them, first and foremost. Andrew Yang is doing a lot of work down there. Roland Martin, who I've talked about many times. Roland Martin, doing great work in Georgia right now. A lot of people are. A lot of activists, a lot of organizers. This is the time. Let's get involved, folks. If there's one thing you want to do before 2020 ends is to get involved with Georgia. People you know in Georgia, call them, stress upon them the importance of voting. It really is critical to vote in these two Senate runoffs if you are in Georgia and a Georgia voter knows that voting is the thing to do. And we're not going to let any voter suppression turn us around. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.